Welcome into another episode of Through the Keyhole, a Sunday night leading into the national championship on Monday night between Alabama and Georgia. We're going to get into some big picture college football conversation to hold you over uh, through the next couple days because you're going to be hearing talking points nationally that are going to be nonstop about the same things that we're going to dive into. As always, joined alongside the strong and powerful Peyton Guthrie to get through a weekend and do a podcast after, uh, I don't know, I guess you could share the news of that. Oh, no, just uh, struggling through my second bout of COVID. The, the Omicron, the, the Transformer finally got me. I uh, don't know when, don't know where, uh, but it, it's put me down for a day and I'm on day two of symptoms. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's not too bad, but I couldn't miss the people. I, I was reading some uh, some messages stuff on Patreon, making sure that we can keep our consistent content up. So I'm on the deathbed, guys. I've got the little <laughs> got, got the little bowl of hot water and the towels on my head and stuff. But I'm here for you. <clears throat> so if I have some coffee and some sniffling and stuff, I apologize. But day two of COVID. Uh, but still here with here with the content. Here with the hot takes. Yeah, my coughing and sneezing doesn't come from that. Matt, how's your uh, how's your week been? Our weekend's been fine, man. We had a nice little text exchange. I'm repping the. I'm still. I'm still wearing wearing the Duke shirt. I texted Matt yesterday lost. after Duke lost, Peyton. Yes, and I asked him if he was doing okay because I know losing at home has. It's just. Mm. No, and I text. What I texted back, Keegan, was I'm. I'm not worried, because the refs really aren't going to let Duke and Coach K not be in the Final Four for his last season. So until then. I'm chilling. I'm chilling until the final four because the refs are going to allow Coach K to get there in his final season. Everyone knows that, and I'm cool with it. Could Duke beat Oklahoma basketball right now? Absolutely. Oh, they'd smoke them. Sorry, sorry, Sooner fans, but yes, they would. It's a different level. That was. I mean, not if Oklahoma <laughs> was in the second half that the way they did against. No, no unless unless they shoot 82 percent or whatever they shot in the second half, then no, Duke would not beat OU. Isn't that, I mean, that's exactly what Oklahoma basketball is supposed to be, right? Like you fans, football fans get done with the year. It could over the last 21 years that has not lived up to expectations. Um, and you have a basketball team that's good enough to make the tournament. Uh, it's been really fun. Hey, do you watch any of that game yesterday? Uh, I did not. No, I have a, I am on straight streaming life and I kind of keep it on the, on the cheap side of streaming. So I don't get a lot of live sports or anything. And again, being locked down in quarantine, not a lot of viewing options uh, for the live sports stuff. But I kept up, with it, I kept up with it on Twitter. Um, I was in and out of consciousness. At one point in time, Iowa State was up really big, and I was like, "Well, that sucks." And then they I woke up miss, again, man. and then they were up really big. I was like, "Oh, sweet, <laughs> here we go." It was like a revert. Like it got to a time media timeout, and Iowa State was still shooting like sixty-eight percent from the floor. And they weren't just like shooting 68%. I don't know if Matt, you watch this either. They were hitting like competitive, like contested shots left and right. This Brockington dude, like, yeah, hanging in his face, tough defense, like making shots, and they're shooting 
And I about tweeted out like the law of averages. Shout out to Kent Renault, as my father said that to me ever since I was about six years old. Law of averages will always figure itself out. Um, they did, then they definitely did, and they flipped in Oklahoma's favor. Matt, what would you think of that game yesterday? Man, it was awesome. And like I just said earlier, too, uh, you're going to beat a lot of teams if you shoot like 82% from the field uh, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a half, especially the second half. So, you know, good for them. Bichon Cortez had some had a breakout game. He had a breakout game on uh, on national TV. So that was cool. Kid from Kingfisher uh, doing it big. So, uh, no, it was fun. This team's going to be fun to watch, man. Honestly, they're going to be fun to watch. And it's weird that uh, maybe not weird. I think that this team should expect to win at least one game in the NCAA tournament. I think that that's how good this team is. Now they don't have a go-to guy. Like they really don't have a guy that, you know, get it to him. He'll go get you a bucket no matter what. Like they they just play good team basketball, man. And they play great defense. So uh, I think that'll, that's good enough. I think they're definitely good enough to expect to win a game uh, in the tournament. The big 12 basketball slate is absolutely brutal. Out the Ken Palm numbers, the average of like what the average team is, and then the net rankings is just bonkers. Did you see? Did you see Oklahoma State's start to their Big Twelve schedule? Yeah, what, what they have this week is ridiculous. It's stupid. It's like they they're like, hey, yeah, we put you on a postseason ban. Uh, oh, and also you're gonna play like at West Virginia, at Baylor, at Iowa State, like just all, just all in a row. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous, but it's been a lot of fun. First kind of Saturday of college basketball to have and next weekend. Uh, I'm sure we'll dive more and more into basketball as the season progresses. Guys, if you are listening, uh, if you're a fan of this show, you're located in Oklahoma City as well. Maybe Dallas, maybe Tulsa. We are always looking for people that want to advertise on the show. If you guys want to do that, you can hit me up at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U, at Peyton Glenn, as you, as it said, it's, spe- it's spelled exactly as you hear it, or the, you can hit up the Keyhole Pod account on Twitter. Um, if you're also listening, you enjoy this podcast, that was a weird pause there, um, that if you want to leave a comment, little give a five-star review, that'd be great. And then obviously subscribe to the podcast, that would be fantastic let's dive into this week's news something that came up today i usually i honestly thought about not starting here because i don't think it's the biggest story but it is the one that people want to know about because it's a saga at this point caleb williams was in los angeles today peyton this comes 24 hours i hadn't hit you up about this um the williams family is from what i understand is spending they're not in, they're in LA right now, obviously, but the rest of the time, from what I understand, is being spent somewhere in Florida. So I don't know, I don't know what's going on. But Caleb Williams was in Los Angeles, and I will add, Mario Williams has also been located in the uh, great city of Los Angeles as well this weekend. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the thoughts on it are that what's what's the nicest way of saying this um if you were to put a gun to my head right now i would tell you he's going to usc and that the plan was to always go to usc i think the idea that he wouldn't be was we were sold a bill of goods with the whole but the relationship between the parents and riley and they just don't like each other anymore that seems to be playing out to be a little more like cover more than anything else and 
once Carl put that statement saying development is the key number one motivator in all of this, which as things have shaken out, it does not seem to be that way. It does seem to be, we have a unique ability and I don't blame them for this. There does seem to be a unique ability for a Heisman type of quarterback, potential Heisman quarterback on the market. So why not cash in for as much as you can? But if development is still there, there's literally only one guy he could go to. Um, and I think all of this was just a lot of, um, you know, a horse and pony show just to kind of cover their bases and stuff like that. But I mean, if, if that's, he's in LA, we've seen it. There's like uh, TikToks or whatever the kids are using these days. There's, Photography evidence. Corey Payton, get with the times. Your recruiting coordinator is posting Snapchats on Twitter. They are there. They are there. So, I mean, he's there. He's being he's being recruited by boosters of potentially uh, USC guys. USC boards are melting down. Um, it just it always made the most sense. And I even wrote that on one of my um, Monday posts, thinking about that. And I, you know, I just kind of always took the relationship stuff of being like, oh, they don't like Riley. Just as a, I just never took it that seriously. I think the only thing they may have not liked about him is just they probably just wanted to know beforehand so they could be they could already have some property out there. And I, well, I think the the key thing here, and I said it of the last twenty four hours or so, um, obviously have had some conversations. If that's the case, they've been lying this whole time. Like I feel very comfortable in saying that, even coming, oh, from, even yeah. coming from my position. Like I, yeah. I, like I don't appreciate that either. So, um, we'll see. What I just happens. don't. I just don't think it makes any sense. Be, be just beyond the ethical morality part of it for them to tell the truth about this process. I mean, they're they're trying to get the highest bidder. They're trying to bounce golf guys and they're trying to cover bases. I mean, if you're gonna trust somebody during this process of this shady free agenciness, I mean you're almost kind of playing yourself to a certain degree. I mean, and we've had multiple guys who write for boards and stuff, you know, all buy into it. I mean, even, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, I mean Ed, said some of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've got stuff like, uh, you know, like scoop guys, I'm not going to call any shots or anything, but you know, they go from one pos being like one podcast being like, what's the issue. I didn't know this was a big deal to the very next podcast being like, well, he's gone guys. We totally, you know, and don't even address that they missed it. You know, it, it, People were being lied to or people were being spoken to. And for some reason, I think maybe it was OU fandom was kind of hoping everyone just assumed that they were being told the truth. Yeah. And I won't just leave it to them. I mean, I, I fall in that category as well. And mm -hmm. I think I even hit you guys up like right when this stuff went down and I made it clear, like on every podcast that we did, it's like, we haven't said anything yet. We haven't said anything yet. We haven't said anything yet. Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've been able to, you know, figure out some more stuff and been privy to some more conversations. But, um, I mean, at this point, it's not just scoop. It's not just, you know, there's been comments that come from the OU Insider Group and there's the football brainy. I mean, everybody's been fed something that is obviously not close to the truth. And I think as we find out more, more and more, you know, I think we'll be able to put that puzzle together, but it's not like Lincoln's going to let him speak to the media, Peyton. So we may never find out from Caleb. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, he spoke one time and it basically caused OU Twitter to melt down. So he's, he's been gone for a long time, but I know there's, there was a, I will say it real quickly. I'll mention the, his name, Red Dirt. Uh, he said from the very beginning, 
that he's he will be gone. Uh, and everyone else, we're hedging bets and everything. And he's like, he's gone. <laughs> and it does seem like he was right from the start. Um, and, 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 you know, just be careful. I mean, listen to everything. I think that's very important. Listening to all the information you're getting that be very important about the information that you buy stock in. I, th- I think that's be, you know, be, be mindful of what you decide to go full, full, uh, full ham on to a certain degree. Yeah. And definitely like even kind of going back to some of the things like I, I still do think that Oklahoma was an option. I think that's the thing that we wrote on our website. Um, mm-hmm. I would truly believe that. I think that because of Caleb, I think Oklahoma was always going to be involved in the conversation. And, but at the end of the day, like you said, like I, you know, and we're going to dive into it here actually in just a second, but uh, you know, like the other parts of this too, I mean, like, I think there's a there's conversations of like Caleb was only like a 60, I don't know what he ended up as like a 64% passer or like, mm-hmm. you know, is he as good as what he was like guys like, no, like he changes everything. Like he goes to USC and there's a true vision. If they can hit on the portal on some offensive linemen that they could maybe have a shot. Like there's, you know, whenever you got a guy like that on your roster, you're always going to be, you know, you're going to have the edge in terms of every game thinking that you got a chance to win. And so like, don't, don't lose sight of that. Um, I'm sure we'll entertain the Levy Riley debate about who's better and upgrading this and that. I'm sure we'll have that over the course of the offseason. We don't need to dive into that tonight. Um, but Jeff Levy, because of his relationship, I wasn't on Tuesday night. Now that was a Patreon podcast. So we were going to talk about it tonight as well. Then if you want Patreon podcast interviews, I know Peyton is going to be uh, working on one with uh, the UCF side of things here pretty soon. You can get mm-hmm. that at patreon.com slash through the keyhole. If you enjoy stuff like that, we also do another podcast every week. So Oklahoma picks up a commitment from Dylan Gabriel early last week or hours after Caleb Williams um, decided to, you know, announce his intentions to enter the transfer portal. Um, Peyton, I want to say from one perspective, I don't think people at UCLA were in the know of what was going on between Oklahoma and Dylan Gabriel. Well, I mean, it's it's just the uh, the business of it. I mean, that, that's just how all of this is shaken out to to, you know, to this degree. Um, it does make me wonder. I, I don't know the the particulars of the portal, so I guess he was tech, even though he had committed to UCLA because classes hadn't started. He was his still financial technically, aid agreement. Yeah, his financial aid agreement wasn't official yet. So he yeah. was still in the portal and still able to have conversations and. Good on Dylan Gabriel, to be honest with you. I mean, I, for I mean, yes, he should have been truthful to UCLA, but good on him for keeping things open, keeping options open. Things are shifting, things are always dynamic, and you have to be able to make sure you're watching out, you know, for you and for and for what's best for you. I mean, once OU got Dylan Gabriel, like what thirty minutes afterwards, <laughs> the ship the ship had sailed on on Caleb Williams, and there's a lot of people who are like, well, maybe he'll still come back, and there'll be a QB competition. It's like, no, I mean, Dylan Gabriel doesn't come to OU if he thinks he's going to have to sit behind somebody. It just doesn't make any sense. He's he's a talent. He's not the most talented OU quarterback, but he is a very talented OU quarterback who will uh, help potentially OU win this conference. But yeah, it's college football is just weird now, man. It's, it's going to be a lot more fluid. Uh, never quite, you know, it's going to be some old Southern truthisms pretty soon. You know, don't, don't count, <laughs> no, don't count, don't say count the those conference, Peyton. Just say the don't, Southwest uh, Conference. I mean, just don't count those chickens until they're hatched, you know? 
it creates content for us. Like if we're going to get a year yearly schedule where we don't have a dip at the off season with a lack of content that we've got to come on here and rank Oklahoma's best dancers on the football team or do something weird like that to produce content. I'm game for, uh, I would appreciate a nice little schedule to where we know what's going on during time periods, which we will touch on here in a second as well. Dylan Gabriel, Let's as a quarterback. So we've got one breakdown of him so far, just a little introduction of what he's capable of doing, what he's not capable of doing. And I also showed a little bit of what Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel were like together. Okay. So Jeff Levy, I just want to say this first run game. The more that I've studied way up. I I think the run game at Oklahoma is going to be fantastic. They're going to figure out what works. They're going to go to the well a lot. Now, that doesn't pertain – we'll dive into that later in the offseason. That doesn't pertain to the conversation at hand. So, the 2019 UCF offense, believe it or not, Peyton, completely like Art Bryles and what they ran at Baylor, which mm-hmm. shouldn't be a shock to anybody. It's Jeff Levy's first gig as an offensive coordinator. He's going to go back to what he knows. Now, he evolved – Levy evolved in 2020, and he evolved in 2021 with more downfield passing, with more complex – uh, you know schemes this and that you don't see so when you like study 2019 UCF tape sometimes you'll see receivers like off the snap not do anything which is what was one of the major complaints with Baylor but he grew he's grown from that I'm interested to see how he grows so how that comes together with Gabriel Gabriel grew from 19 to 20 so 2020 he did not have Jeff Levy as his offensive coordinator it was Josh Heupel and someone else and he was able to do some more things post-snap that were good. Now, I think as we carry this conversation into the offseason as well as heading into the year and once next season starts, I, the conversation starts with, I don't know if Gabriel Peyton necessarily reads defenses to understand what they're doing. He just kind of looks to space to look off people. So I think one of the compliments and how I can compare that is one of the knacks on Tua coming out of Alabama was that he made a ton of blind throws where he assumed that one defensive back because he's looking one direction is going to move one way and he would turn his hips and throw it another Mm -hmm. direction and he had some interception problems. Gabriel has those. The closest compliment, the closest comp you have to Gabriel is Tua on a much shorter scale. Um, and I'm intrigued to see what he does. So I don't know if you've watched the, uh, the film the film that we've got broken down on the website quite yet. Cause I know you've been sick. Um, but what are, what are your thoughts on Oklahoma adding Dylan Gabriel? I mean, I think he, I, I'm lukewarm on the idea of Dylan Gabriel to, uh, to be 100% honest with you. When you're looking at some of his, just his statistics that carry over in a Levy offense, uh, and I'm, I'm also decently lukewarm, which is on Levy offense in general, uh, which sucks. Uh, but when, when you carry stuff over and you see things, how he's performed, um, you see things, I think like I've mentioned before, like attempted yard per average, stuff like that, um, adjusted yard per attempt, stuff like that. He's not quite hitting that 10 yards. He's not quite, you know, and, and that's like, that's a, that's a pretty good, in my opinion, a pretty good marker of, is this team explosive? Now, does that mean he's a bad quarterback? No, Colt McCoy I think had like a seven yards per attempted or whatever I'm trying to say, adjusted yards per attempt. I mean, he was in, would you ever think a Colt McCoy led offense was bad? No, it just marched down the field. It knew it was doing. It wasn't trying to take big chunks. We're just used to OU being, you know, a bombs away type of air raid, like a very much so a power raid, you know, we're, we're running so we can get the, 
we can open up not just you know horizontally but vertically i mean it, it's almost like an old um uh oakland raiders type thing i mean they have to cover the full length of the field as well as side to side levy levy's offenses aren't necessarily that um it, I do. It does make me wonder if that is this a product of the quarterback or a product of the talent that he's had uh, around him. But I think Dylan Gabriel can operate in that style, move things around. You've got, um, oh yeah, yikes! I was looking at uh, Matt um, Matt Corral's. Um, he's just at nine yards and just barely broke ten in twenty twenty. Um, but you've got more stuff side to side. You've got more stuff like, Hey, let's, we have a guy out there who's very athletic. Let's just get the ball to him. So there will be some stuff that makes things easier. Keegan, please correct me if I'm wrong. If OU has a, has a, uh, a CD lamb type guy, uh, he's going to get the ball a, a lot. <laughs> like They're not going to mess around and use them as decoys and stuff. It's like throw the ball to the really good guy and, and let them operate. I, it's just not going to be the same level of offense that we're used to. But I do think it's a system in which OU can win the Big 12 for the next two years, one year. So, so Cincinnati game, 2019, on the first drive of the game, Peyton, they ran five straight RPO sticks. Mm-hmm. And they all were five straight pass attempts that were completed. Because as you guys will remember, 2014, if you're not going to play within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, Art Bryles at his offense is just going to – dink and dunk their way down the field that's just what they're going to do that's what the that's what that offense is born to do so to your point dylan gabriel he's going to be able to do all the things that jeff levy has asked him to do before the problem is is to what Peyton a little bit of what Peyton's talking about is that when you have west virginia you have iowa state well pending the hardball stuff uh, we'll see if Iowa State has the same defensive coordinator. But Kansas State, Oklahoma State, they're likely, likely defensive line coach, that coach under Knowles. So they'll have them, and they'll have Baylor. You've got five teams. you got five opponents on your schedule that are going to run a defense that is strictly built to stop that kind of stuff. I mean, the Heacock and that defense, all that, that stuff came – yes, don't get me wrong, Lincoln Riley, they wanted to stop him badly. But that stuff all started Tony Gibson, and he's having success in NC State right now. The three three five started to stop the Bryle stuff as yeah. it was really booming in college football. And so they're going to be met. Jeff Levy's going to have to be more innovative in the passing game. The running game stuff's going to be really good. And where Gabriel fits into that is that if they have a good running game, I forgot to tell Matt to, to play the – wild thing song um which we may need to be careful not to get canceled for that but it's truly that's what it is um you know i like he'll make it's hard to explain like he'll make four great throws and then that fifth one it's just like what the hell were you doing he'll make 10 great decisions and then he'll turn the football over and it's like holy hell like what are you doing and so he's gonna have to and that the problem is is that that hasn't gone away the clip that Texas fans are posting right now that everybody is seeing on Twitter, yes, I think it's the Boise State game early on. UCF drove right down the field, and the Dylan Gabriel threw it right at a defender. It happens. When people have asked me so far, Peyton, what do they need to think about Dylan Gabriel, I said just be prepared. The WTF 
Turnovers are going to happen. Act like they're normal. Just act like, just don't freak out. Tap them on the butt. Hey, keep going, buddy, because you're going to need it. Because if he throws for four touchdowns and has two interceptions, he probably won the football game because Oklahoma's defense is going to be good enough. He doesn't, the level of quarterback play that's going to be needed at Oklahoma, not just to have a successful offense, but to that because of how good the defense is likely going to be, it's a lot lower. Like Dylan Gabriel doesn't have to go win the Heisman for Oklahoma to win a national championship. Now, that's probably going to come with it if it happens, right? But at the same time, like he doesn't have to be the Kyler Murray or the Baker Mayfield or even to the running extent of Jalen Hurts. He doesn't have to do everything. So I'm really intrigued, and I'm sure we'll dive more into Gabriel as we kind of go on with the offseason and do those things. So let's dive into well, the rest. No, go well, I will say, I will say real quickly, kind of pushing back on that stuff. I think this the offense is going to give Dylan Gabriel the statistical merit for Heisman invitations, for Heisman buzz, all that stuff. I think it's going to be fantastic for that type of thing. The thing I'm not too, the thing I'm concerned about is does he have the overall physical talent to get OU to a point to where he can win a game for them? So let's say OU goes full into Clemson mode. Deshaun Watson did not win a Heisman. Trevor Lawrence did not win a Heisman. They never had huge statistical years for that stuff, but they were strong enough physically and individually talented enough to where when it came down to, you know, the, the Michael Johnson quote unquote winning time that they had the ability to make those plays. That's where I think Dylan Gabriel will have the separation between being a very, very good OU quarterback versus an elite quarterback like a Baker or a Kyler. And I think OU's roster is not built at this point to where they could potentially win and compete for a national championship with just that type of quarterback. I think you need a Baker or Kyler at this point in time in OU's uh, football roster to kind of get you over the hump at that point in time, having to play a Georgia or an Alabama. I mean, those those dudes make you play left-handed. Well, he is left-handed, so they make you play right-handed. But then you have to make plays off schedule. You have to make plays outside of structure. I don't know if he's that type of guy moving forward. Yeah, I think the thing that I've said off the beginning is, is, is he good enough to win you games? I don't know. Is he good enough to have Oklahoma in every game? Yeah, I feel pretty confident. Yeah. In that. I don't, you know what I'm saying? I think, I think that conversation as well as the conversation I'm sure we'll have next week on this topic, um, the difference between Oklahoma will win the big 12 and Oklahoma can win the big 12 is there's a, there's a canyon in between those two things. And for the last five years, it's been Oklahoma will. So um, let's dive into the transfer uh, that Oklahoma got from Hawaii, Jonah Lualu. And as well, let's add in, they got uh, our boy, Ted Roof's son, TD Roof, who I guess killed a guy from Appalachian or played for Appalachian state and killed some poor running back last year. You see that video? Yeah. For it's Miami, right? I don't remember who the team was, but I just remember that video hit the, uh, made the rounds pretty quick. So uh, while you're looking that up, I, I've said this, I truly believe this. Um, I think this guy got a lot of offers because of what he looks like and not because of what he plays like. And I think that in itself itself is very interesting um, because I will say like, he needs to be coached up better mm-hmm. period. Like he, the, the, I've got 11 clips of him. And he, two of them, when he was working inside, looked great. 
And when I say he looks great, he does look fantastic, Peyton. Like, my God, that guy should be a really, really good football player and should be. He just is not yet. But And the problem is, is he's old. Um, he does have two years of eligibility. Um, every transfer that they've gotten, McCade, Matower, um, besides Daniel Parker, has two years of eligibility left. So I'll, uh, I'll throw it to you with this. If Matower, Lualu, and Daniel Parker are starting for Oklahoma next year, we've missed on someone that I think that we've thought could be a lot better or somebody got hurt or somebody entered the portal. I just don't see if these, these three guys shouldn't be starting over Reggie Grimes and Braden Willis and Chris Murray and Aaron Parks and those in that group. So we'll see. I'll, uh, I'll throw it over to you on that. No, I, I think it's just OU improving by not necessarily expanding the talent on, on its roster, but just up by developing the depth of its roster at, at this point in time with those, those types of transfers. Um, I just don't think OU is a – what am I trying to say here? I mean, I just don't think OU is that sexy of a transfer destination at this point in time for some big-time transfers and things like that. I just don't think um, it is like a, a very hot topic at this point in time. I think every, I think everyone wants to see what Brent can do. Um, you, you don't just transfer into a kind of an unknown situation. So the type of guys OU is going to be able to get out of the transfer portal up till now at least – or dudes who are going to be under too deep dudes who are going to be pushing practice snaps, you know, kind of helping install certain type of, uh, uh, systems and things. Now the tight end Daniel Parker, I believe, um, he's someone who will see play time. Um, Brandon, uh, you know, Willis is, is more of a Swiss army knife type guy. who's going to be catching the ball and being a little more offensive of present presence, uh, the, the Missouri tight end is someone who's going to be that wing back spot. Who's just there to, uh, you know, run those crack blocks and, you know, do some, uh, do that ISO motion and stuff like that. I mean, that's, you need a, you need a guy like that too on the roster. For sure. For sure. And again, I think I will say what's important about those three additions, Parker, Matower and Luolu so far is that Oklahoma last year, I think learned this lesson. And I think we're going to see it throughout more at the higher levels of power five, Peyton, when a guy like your best players with their highest ceilings, when they get hurt, having a guy like Robert Condrell to step in and play and that has a ton of experience, I think that's super important because, like, it – don't get me wrong. Like, I think we all saw how much better Oklahoma could be with Andrew Raymond at center. But the floor doesn't drop that much more when you have a guy that that's experienced. And that's what Matower brings. That's what Lualu brings. And that's what Daniel Parker brings. Phil Lodeholt? Welcome back. Matt, what's your uh, what's your fondest memory of Phil Lodehold? And don't say a penalty because I've already made that joke. I'm not saying a penalty, man. It was uh, really, I would just say a guy being that, like a 6'8", 6'9", offensive lineman actually like being a really good offensive lineman and not just, uh, oh man, not to throw strays, but do you remember the, uh, the Farnyot? Farnyak guy was that his name yes I do Derek Farnyak yeah yeah like 6'9 big guy but like hardly ever played for you but um no most of a, a lot of my memories well, too champion like, Derek Farnyak he started that game against Alabama oh there we go love that um but no most of my Phil Oldholt memories are from uh but he, he was playing with Adrian Peterson in Minnesota too oh, yep. yeah 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 and then uh Oklahoma hires as well J.R. Sandlin as director of recruiting. Peyton, 
he's just some guy like me out there tweeting out random bullshit on Twitter and he gets a job. How about that? No, I'm kidding. Well, I mean, the, the cool part about him is that one, he does sound like, and it would be really cool if you could put a, a fog, a foghorn, leghorn um, sound bite right here. But he really does sound like where he's from. I mean, he has this nice southern drawl to him. He's got this cool, little interesting uh, sound to him. All of his little videos. I mean, he that that him and him and a uh, turnip seed. They're gonna owe you the south. They're gonna get OU all the way to the natty. <laughs> OU. No, that's it. That that's an Oklahoma sound. That that's a hick sound. You gotta have you got that longer kind of drawl. I mean, this is a southern kind of voice. I mean, <laughs> you're up in your nose. You're you're a Great Plains kind of uh, accent right there. I'm from but Benjamin. no, I mean, this guy, um, this guy here, it looks kind of weird. I mean, his 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 progress looks strange in his career. He's like where he's been. You think it would be backwards how where he is and where from versus where he started, but um. This is basically him. Him and Turnip Seed is basically signaling to the broader OU and broader college football uh, landscape that OU is fully, fully engaged in the bad game. There's going to be, they're going to be paying people through NIL deals. They're going to be taking that stuff together. I wouldn't be surprised if that is uh, Turnip Seed's number one priority this year is to completely develop and modernize the NIL at OU. And this guy, Sandlin, is going to be his right-hand man of taking care of all that stuff and delivering said funds and said deals to potential recruits. But also, quote-unquote, maybe, quote-unquote, overseeing, quote-unquote, the kind of recruits who also just want to get paid. Like uh, if you've read the, uh, the really, really nice Alan Kinney article about NIL deals uh, versus economic deals versus inducement deals, uh, there's going to be some players who are like, I don't want to have this taxed. I don't want to sign all this paperwork. Can you just give me $50,000 in cash? I mean, some are going to still want to want that. And you're going to need someone who can funnel that stuff to the right guys. And it does seem like OU is fully on board of moving in that direction, which is pretty funny with uh, Joe Castiglione and just allowing that to happen. So Sandlin spent time at Alabama to what Peyton was saying. Uh, joined the Notre Dame staff in 2013, I believe. Was it so Alabama to Notre Dame to Jacksonville State, where he's been since 2014? Now, Jacksonville State has been good. Um, same program that beat Florida State this year. Um, so they have been able to recruit some talent. But to what you're saying, it is a little bit weird. To, and so I've done a little bit of digging, not a lot, on uh, he's well known in the agency agents sports coaches world um people know who he is people are aware of who he is and to put what Peyton is saying I definitely do think Oklahoma is going to be recruiting really really hard um maybe even to it when Venables was hired I was a little bit worried that they were going to be a lot more focused on player development and uh more than you know bringing in trying to grab and go get the best players that are out there but i feel a lot better to what Peyton was saying about turnip seed and sandlin that oklahoma is recruiting is going to be at the forefront of their heads um for forever jaron canick officially commits i don't know if i need to comment on this we've talked about him a lot but he officially committed to oklahoma he will be heading to oklahoma there's tons of good stories written about that out there if you guys want to read up 
on that. Just search his name in the Google machine. Last little bit of news before we dive into the meat of this podcast. How do you feel about a Purdy and Norman? Uh, I mean, if OU needs enough arms uh, to keep the scout team running, I'm totally fine. (laughs) We're good to go. I will make a quick comp and we can get out of this conversation. He is Charlie Brewer to a T. So, and uh, Brewer was replaced at Baylor um, and he was replaced at Utah by Oklahoma. Oh, sorry. Former Oklahoma quarterback Cameron Rising or for a former Oklahoma commit Cameron Rising. So, uh, regardless of that, Peyton, we've been waiting a couple weeks. We've teased at this conversation. We were kind of, I was waiting for the perfect time. Tonight is the perfect time. Big picture. Put your big caps on. Going to get a little bit weird. We're going to have a bunch of different opinions here because I don't think Peyton and I agree on much of what we're about to talk about. Peyton, let's talk about the thing that's going to be driving the most conversation tomorrow. Georgia, Alabama are playing in a rematch. People are sick of it. People are tired of watching it. That damn Greg Sankey keeps putting teams in the national championship game. Expand or to not expand? I'll offer my first thought. I think the people that are saying, well, you're going to get the same result anyways are missing the point. But I also think the people that are saying expand, 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 whenever they're saying at large, at large, at large bids, I don't know if that's the right way either. The SEC is going to win this thing, regardless of which way it goes. I think the Alliance people are ridiculous about what their demands are in the Rose Bowl. People are being ridiculous in terms of what their demands are. I didn't offer you my full opinion on what I think should happen. I'll just throw, I'll just leave the table to you, Peyton. Uh, on the expansion or don't expand conversation. So I'm, I'm of two camps of this. And um, I think in my mind, I've talked myself into it to where they both have equal value. First one, go fully back to a bowl system. Remove all playoff and go fully back to a bowl system and have them just vote at the end, which team was the best and use, use a lot of data, data analytics stuff. So then teams can have things that matter, you know, because we're, I was talking to Bill Conley about the Michigan stuff. The national media will be like, wow, they got completely curb stomped in the playoff. That team was a failure, but the Michigan team and Michigan fans, they can think we beat Ohio state. We won the uh, big 10, you know, those are super, super important. Those things are not quite as important to other teams anymore. So if you were to move all that stuff, like when OU is winning national championships with Barry Switzer, I mean, they'd play like number eight in the bowl game and then it'd get voted upon and they'd be the champion. So, I mean, that might be interesting. It allows a lot of talk and back and forth. Or you do a full expansion to 12 slash 16. I don't think you can live in this halfway world that we're in and think it's going to give you any other results other than what has happened. The SEC and those teams that are uniquely talented just have too many resources, too much resources um, that other teams can't compete uh, at that level. But if you put enough roadblocks in front of them, something could happen. That said, you're not potentially going to get the quote-unquote right team that's a champion at the end of the year. Much like the NCAA tournament, it's the best, it's the best tournament, it's the best bracket thing in college athletics, period, 
but there's oftentimes doesn't produce the right champion. It's usually the team that got hot and won the tournament, you know, so you have to kind of balance that out. Like, you know, statistically this team was better, but what happened on the field was this for these various reasons. So we're never going to go back. So I'm fully on board of expanding all the way. And for the people who are like, well, it's only going to end up one way. It's only going to end up one way. Who cares? That's on those other teams to get better. I mean, when I was talking to, again, I'm going to refer back to that Bill Conley thing. I mentioned Nebraska and how they kind of murdered themselves uh, by money, uh, leaving the, the Big 12. And his astute thing was the Big 10 didn't force Nebraska to hire Mike Riley. Nebraska did that. <laughs> Nebraska destroyed their on-field you know competition by doing it themselves to themselves so if these teams want to complain and say well they have too much talent they have too much this get a bigger recruiting staff get a bigger athletic staff and go out and compete because they're doing it if you're not going to do the things they're doing don't complain you've already given up you've already waved the flag before it's even started so expand and if you want to get better get better yeah, again, my big thing is the at-large bids and how many and what they're compri- what what where do those rankings come from? I think is the conversation that follows that. And the problem I have is when ESPN's strength of record statistic is something that's a part of the metrics process put <coughs> into the college football playoff rankings and the one that the committee uses. I have a problem with that. Because, like, there's more, there's a ton of metrics out there you can use. And I'm not saying that ESPNs isn't trustworthy. I'm just saying that leaves you, that leaves that conversation up for debate. And I don't even know if this is something I've, we've talked about it on here multiple times last offseason about why, you know, we get into the, you know, March, April, and data analysts across the country have a lot of their preseason, uh, you know, ratings are taken care of, Peyton, and this and that. So it's like, at that time we were talking about, and I was mentioning like the strength of record statistic, the strength of uh, strength of schedule, like all these things that ESPN has that the committee is using, like that's coming from one entity. That's also putting on the whole show that's under the most flack right now. And so it all looks weird. Um, I worry about the at-large bids because if you do 12 and what they're saying with the top six conference champions, regardless of if it's power five or not, um, you have the top six conference champions. You have six and at Notre large Dame. Bids. Notre Dame probably has like a, a top ten there in type of thing. They're got they got to go eleven and one. I think like that's. Yeah. I think right now, I mean, before in the BCS, it was if they're ranked at a certain point, and then they automatically. I'm assuming something like that would happen. Right. No, and I'm with you there. That's my problem. Is like because at that point, you get one SEC team in, and you probably mm-hmm. half of the half of the field is going to be sec teams it'll be six of 12 some years and so and i know that's the world we're heading to and i understand that but that's just a that's something i worry about because like the sec had a down year this year right and like in terms of talent like every three or four years like the sec is going to be really really good like this is uh this is an outlier compared to the last decade so you got to be weary of that here was my proposal if you're going to do it I think you got to go with eight teams, top six conference champions, and two at-large bids. And I, after that, I'm good. Like, I, I, it's like, if the SEC has a good year, great. They get three SEC teams in, and that's it. Mm-hmm. If the SEC has a down year, you only get two, maybe even one. 
right? If Tank Bigs, if Tank Bigsby runs out of bounds or doesn't run out of freaking bounds this year, there's only one SEC team. No, uh, they were going to put a two-loss Alabama team in, but mm-hmm. maybe they're not as motivated for this SEC championship game because they could be out. So who knows? Like you're you're leaving that up, and there's a there's a lot of gray, and I think the point of expansion, and I think people are missing this. The point of expansion isn't to get different results as a national champion or even a national championship game participants. It's to have entertaining games leading up to that point. Cause it's all about money. It's all about ratings. Yeah. And so they're completely okay with having three through 12 or, you know, the three seed that plays or sorry, first four teams would get a buy the five seed playing the 12 seed and the six seed playing the 11 and the seven playing the 10 and the eight playing the nine. Like, those games are going to be entertaining. Now, will any of those teams win? Probably not. Um, but it's at least somewhat entertaining games leading into it. So I think people are missing that point of it a little bit. And then to the point of expansion. Uh, I'm with you. I, I would honestly prefer, like, as a coming from a data background, to play 20 games and whoever has the best record after that's done, and that's the champion. <laughs> Like that's yeah. how it should be done because that's the best way to figure it out. But if you don't have that, I would prefer to stay at four opposed to going to 12. Does that make me an old, am I an old now? If I think it that makes way? you, it makes you an old and it, it, it also kind of flies counterintuitive to the, the data persona you want to okay. put out there. Cause let's, I mean, the, the, the example I used once was a, uh, with Bill Conley again, just listen to the Bill Conley interview. He does a really good job of breaking this stuff down. But so I use the CrossFit Games as an example. It's it's it is a leaderboard specific. So first place gets 100 points, second place 95, third place 90. Right. So let's say you run a mile, and the first pla- first place guy runs a mile in four and a half minutes. Second place guy runs a mile in five and a half minutes. Third place guys run third place guys runs a mile in five and a half in one second. So the difference there, so, you know, first place only got five points on second, even though he ran a full minute faster and second place only got five, still got the same exact same amount of difference, only beating a guy by one second. So I think if we don't do that large stuff, you're potentially punishing or at least limiting teams in which have shown the ability to be greater teams because some Pac-12 team beat up on some bad Pac-12 teams. You mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's not... You're, you're not quite allowing teams to be rewarded for their actual play on the field at that point in time uh, that digs slightly deeper than just what their record was at the end of the game, at the end of the game. Now I understand that there's some political hand-wringing about whether well, the SEC is going to have five teams in it every single year, so on and so forth. Things like that will become self-regulated. The more you try to regulate it for itself, the worse off it's going to be, in my opinion, when it comes to this type of thing. Because what could end up easily happen, and I would be screaming at the mountaintops about how bad it would be. That like the year um, OU played UConn in the Fiesta Bowl. UConn won that conference. They would be automatically in. And it's like, well, they were a, an eight and four team. Like, and they were horrible. Just the rest of that conference was bad. There needs to be some sort of, you didn't make the cut. I understand you won your conference, but it was a bad year or, you know, and I don't know how I feel about that entirely. You know, should there be Cinderella stuff? Um, I think in other sports, yeah, 
but as you said in college football how often is that going to happen i mean it's, it's not happening now how often is that going to happen if you let an eight and four uconn in who like upset whoever the fuck they played in in their conference sure. championship game that doesn't that they avoid that by doing just the top six conference champions right because that could if you have a louisiana that's 12 and one and whatever and you wins sunbelt potentially so who knows like i i'm intrigued as much as you are um, so also one thing to add to about expanding uh, for for all the people who complain about the opt-outs i mean if you get more players oh, or, yeah. i mean more teams in there that's that's less people that are going to opt out especially from teams that that you want to see play like just for an example like let's say i mean this probably doesn't happen but let's say pittsburgh gets in uh, this year to an expand, expanded playoff. Kenny Pickett doesn't opt out. And what if he, you know, what if he throws for 400 yards on whoever, you know, and they win a playoff game? Like, I think, I think that would be cool to me. Like, as far as like, we talked about NCAA tournament style, like there have been cool runs that don't end up in yeah. championships, but it's still talked about like, oh man, do you remember that run that Jimmer Fredette went on? Like he went, like they went, they got to the sweet 16. That was awesome. Yada, yada. And I think, I think that would be cool to see. Like, who's to say if Oregon gets in this year and Kayvon Thibodeau has like three or four sacks in a game and just takes over? Like, yeah. I, it would just be, I think that would be a cool thing um, about expansion, too. Yeah. I mean, teams already do this for recruiting and for like social media stuff. They'll say, you know, OU says it like we've made the playoff X amount of times and stuff. But if they go to 12, we're going to start seeing like banners and stuff made the final four, you know, made the final eight, stuff like that, which those things should be celebrated. I mean, there's only, uh, again, as Bill Conley put it, your team is 99.9999999% sure is going to end the season with a loss. <laughs> only one team wins at the end, and you're going to have to find ways to celebrate this stuff and have fun with it. Because if you just watch the sport and you only want to win it all, you're going to be disappointed so many times more than you're they're excited for sure for sure i want to add to something what Peyton saying about like teams the blue chip ratio for the leagues this year the sec's average per team was 43 percent the big tens was 25 the pac 12s was 24 the acc's was 21 and the big 12s was 19 so and that's just an all that's just an espn conspiracy i mean really talent is just a construct that our side <laughs> on to college football no, I mean, it just, it's, it's in the numbers. The teams with the most talent win the most games. It's just how it is. It, it, now, is. it has allowed the SEC to get away with a lot of really bad coaching. <laughs> but it just is what it is. For sure, for sure. And uh, we'll dive on, you're talking about the coaching point. Like, having Florida being a power in the SEC is going to be very, very important. Or somebody, right? Kentucky to be good like they've been every four years or – you know, Tennessee to be able to come in and beat Georgia maybe once every three years. I mean, it's on, it's on everybody else. Like everybody blames Alabama and Georgia for hoarding talent. It's like kind of like what you said, like what Bill Connolly said, like Florida, Florida's the one who hired Dan Mullen and Greg McElwain. Right. Yeah. I think that's his name. Like, yeah. It, yeah. The PAC 12 starts making some good hires. All of a sudden all that West coast talent stops going to Alabama. You know, it, it, that that's the issue. I mean, they're able to get all of their talent and then steal all the talent out of the other regions. That's that's the issue. For sure, for sure. And on that note, transition to something other big picture that's going to be talked about. We, this trade, 
I hate to use and put the NFL's scheduling or in gridlocks on college football. Can we not just put, we've talked about it on this podcast before, can we not just put a transfer portal period two weeks after the regular season leading up to the first signing day? Open it up whenever the dead period's over in January to the first signing, to the second signing day in February. And then you could also add one, Peyton, after spring football for about a month before June 1st or whatever that time is that is these all these kids have to officially either be somewhere or whatever. Like, that's where we have to go with this thing, right? And can you put a coaching gridlock on that too? You can't, you can't leave for another job until this period. Yeah, I was going to say you can't do one without the other. You can't limit the player movement and say you're only allowed to do this right here. Because what happened, you know, if you give them a one-month window, but what happens in the other 11 months when Lincoln Riley decides to leave? You know, it's like, well, what now? Now, that said, as like a really selfish OU fan, it could have been, well, wait, you're going to meet Brent Venables, you're going to meet the new staff. But, you know, Levy runs an entirely different offensive game. Like, there's going to be guys like, well, I still want to, that's just not going to work for me. You know, so, and if you, you have to be able to control this. And I just don't know, man. I I just don't know when it comes to the transfers and stuff, because the transfer portal isn't killing football teams, to be honest with you. I mean, it's not, and it's not a huge, grand, huge, massive thing. Now it has flowed the opposite way people thought it was going to happen. I mean, they thought it was going to be, well, Alabama is now going to be like a, have like multiple tributaries of talent flowing into the lower SEC schools as guys realize they're not playing and not starting. It's actually happened the other way. All the other SEC teams have now become future schools to Alabama. I mean, and they just, and if you thought about it for half a second, they, everyone should have known that's how it was going to be. You know, Lincoln Riley warned people about that for the interconference transfers. He's like, the way you guys think this is going to work isn't how it's going to work this we have a new breed of athlete uh and for oklahoma fans this this will be a good one we have a new breed of athlete which are much more in the kevin durant scheme of things which are i'm going to be a good player on a good team and prove my worth via the good team like i'm going to start on the good team which then proves i am a great player not necessarily i'm going to beat you in a one-off game the idea is I'm going to show up and steal your spot, you know, and join that team. That's how all this stuff's happening. You have Nick Saban talking about wanting to regulate NIL and stuff, and then some people are dunking on them, dunking on him, being like, oh, it's because he feels like the power is slipping away from him. Like, no, you idiots. The issue is, is that he sees it. He's like, I already have 99% of the talent. I'm about to get 100% of the talent. And I've already paid for 99% <laughs> of that talent as well. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing. Yeah. Like, like, it's not like Alabama's not sitting here and not paying guys. It's like they've been doing it. That There's a reason why they've won 11 national championships. I'm not kidding. That's a, over. I don't know how many they've won. But two, nine. Yeah, nine. It could be nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they won. And I'm not saying it's only because they pay players. But, I mean – it's the SEC. Like, you win the yeah. SEC doing it one way. Yeah. And this stuff, I mean, like, and then there are other teams who are, I'm going to throw shade at the, the two chief rivals at OU right now, other teams like USC and Texas, who this is not going to work out the way they think it's going to work out. I mean, this is not. I mean, if rumors are to be believed, we have USC donors, 
who are paying for Caleb Kelly, Caleb Kelly. Oh my God, <laughs> that'd be hilarious. Uh, Caleb Williams and Mario Williams to be at the LA game, be at the Rams game today and be at the Lakers game tomorrow to widen dine them and get them to come to USC. That's going to inflate egos that are already large to even higher standards. And now these head coaches and programs are going to have to deal with these boosters being like, well, I'm the one paying that kid. He needs to start. I'm the one doing this. That needs to happen. Texas already has that issue. And now they're just making it even more solid for that to happen. And programs who do not have strong athletic departments, who do not have strong alignment, are just going to see themselves getting ripped apart. They have a ton of money, but it's going to be ripped apart. And it's going to be, um, you're going to know, let's say OU gets a five-star player and they pay a hundred grand for them. Texas could get the same kid, but they'll have to pay like 300 grand because they'll know that's what the market is. You know what I'm saying? Like they know they can get 300 out of Texas to a certain degree, but it's not necessarily a market of what the player is. So, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going to be nasty. I think OU is going to be okay in the grand scheme of it all, but the it, it's where we are right now is not going to be where we are in three years when it comes to all this stuff. I, I think they'll have some regulation on NIL from the, it's, because, like, part of the discussion, right, like, you talk about Alan Kenny in the interview you guys did as well as the posts you've written about it, like, part of the legislation is talking about free – it's talking about fair market value, <coughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's supposed to be a part of this. And Some states. Some states are I think it's almost all – like, it's in their legislation, which yeah. I need to – I would need to research to make that claim 100% to do more. But, like, that's well, like not – Texas just did it. They did inducement deals. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the offensive lineman, you're going to tell me a freshman offensive lineman, his fair market within a market economy is 50 grand? No. I, I mean, it's over, I think that's over four years, too, right? So it would be. No, it's 50 grand a year, I thought. I might be wrong. I, I'm speaking out. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, like, to what we're saying, though, like, there's with that stuff that's written in law, like, like there's going to be serious repercussions coming. Like, at some point and so because like once with money involved and taxes involved the government is going to be and if you guys can hear some text messages going off i apologize for that but like the government's going to be involved they're they're going to want to know what's going on because you can't have you can't have a market that's so inflated that it's hard for entry right and so they get involved with that stuff and so we'll see. I, I'm very intrigued to see how this plays out over the course of the next coming months and next coming weeks and this and that. Peyton, let's save uh, let's save our uh, Southeast Oklahoma let's South Oklahoma recruiting in the Southeast talk for next week. We got a national championship game. We've been going for about an hour here. Um, which was, Alabama, Georgia. We talked about this a little bit a week ago. Um, they, it's so hard. Because I've actually studied that game for both sides now. Alabama, if they can do it again, they're going to have to win that exact same way. If they're going to beat Georgia again, they're going to have to win that exact same way. Ton of explosive passes from Bryce Young. And Georgia had four coverage busts in the first half. One of them, everybody saw. Jamison Williams ran by literally everybody. And so it's, it's an intriguing one. It's tough. I obviously want Georgia to win for a lot of reasons, 
Um, I do not have money on Georgia winning the national championship. I wish <laughs> I had money on Georgia winning the national championship from back in January. I'd be holding a hot ticket. I'd probably prop swap that for a good payout. But um, I, I truly believe, and you're talking about the data persona that I have. This goes back to that, right? The things that carry over from game to game. Alabama, they're not a super explosive, reliant on explosive passes. Um, they've needed some run game. They've needed a little bit of this. They won exclusively because of what Georgia wasn't doing in the first game and because of what Bryce Young was doing in that game. They're going to have to – Alabama's going to have to win this game straight up. And I'm trying to think of it in a way like the – it's almost like Baylor-Oklahoma in 2019, Peyton. To a certain to an extent of Oklahoma won that first round. And if Charlie Brewer didn't get his head ripped off by Kenneth Murray in that game, Oklahoma was heading to a down a path where they were gonna lose that game if Brewer was playing. And so I'm 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 curious to get your thoughts on this, on the idea that. I just don't know if Alabama could beat them the same way they beat them the first time. And that worries me from Alabama's position. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of money being pumped in right now on the Alabama side and the number's not moving. You know, that, that that's, up that's to three. Yeah. I mean, that, that the, the, if you're an Alabama fan, that's something you should have a little concern about because the number's not shifting to your favor at, to, to, for you to be the favorite, you know, because once everyone on Twitter said Georgia minus three, ha ha ha. These dudes never learn anything. Alabama's going to run them, but they're not swaying. They're not moving because all the quote unquote smart people or respected betters see that number and think it's right. I mean, the first, the first, the first game was six and a half uh, minus on Georgia and for it to change from six to half with nothing really changing down to three is a monumental change, to be honest with you. That doesn't happen very often, that much of a that much of a move. It's only been like a month apart. So um, I don't know if I worry about Alabama. I mean, they have like 88% blue chip ratio or something. I don't think I worry about them. <laughs> uh, Nick Saban will figure something out. But I do think if you really look at it, they are the underdogs legitimately now. This is where you have to you have to go back to some Barry Switzer stuff and you know some other college football colloquialisms. I just butchered that word. Um, sometimes it's not the X's nose; it's Jimmy the Joes. And Alabama has those guys, and they've got those guys in spots that you need to get those guys. Alabama is going to be in Stetson Bennett's face, and Alabama is a quarterback to make plays in which Stetson Bennett has not been able to make himself. If this is a Setson Bennett, 12 out of 18 for a, you know, 185 yards, touchdown and two picks, Georgia's not going to win, in my opinion. You know, if you see these games, you see, you see Alabama losing championship games. They lost because the other team had dynamic quarterback play, which got them over the hump. I just don't think that's going don't, to – I don't trust Setson Bennett, the fourth, uh, to, to be, you know, uh, you know, the fourth of his name to be that guy and, and you know maybe i'm missing it maybe statistically you know georgia's a better defense they have a better running game they can control the clock and stuff i just don't think you you'd look at a nick saban coach team and think it's just going to run out 
exactly how the numbers say if, if their numbers are against them. It's, it's so interesting. I think you hit on a couple really important pieces there. I will say, Alab, there is John Mechie's out. He yep. killed Georgia in the first game. It was a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, offensive line. I don't know if Ikior is playing at right guard. Oh, I will yeah. say, yeah. Ikior is a guy that we identified last off season at RPM Data, and I can I can talk about that because he did not go to the places we wanted him to go. But he's a he's a guy that we evaluated early. If he's out. That's a big loss. And again, it's just if if George if Alabama had run the football well against Georgia and Cincinnati, I think I'd be sounding some alarm bells and saying this is really this is Alabama's got a chance to run away with this. Yeah, your point. Georgia does have Stetson Bennett. This this would be the worst quarterback to win the national championship since AJ McCarron. Yeah, it'd be something like that. It'd be one of those uh, Alabama teams. And so to what Peyton was saying a second ago, I've looked at a couple places. Um, This was updated on January 7th, so a couple days ago. Alabama, on the spread at Alabama, is the three-point underdog. 70% of the handle only in 70% of the bets. And this is what you're talking about, the the thing that should worry you. 83% 83% of the money line is on the underdogs in this game. 83% of the money or 77% of the bets. Yeah. And that if, is if, never yeah, good. If, yeah, if you were to see that, I mean, if that type of stuff was happening, just to break it down for like layman's terms, because I'm, I'm not that good on this stuff. But from yeah. my understanding, if you were to see that amount of volume happening, the, the, the common thought is, Vegas is going to adjust that number to meet the volume of money coming in. But that has, that's been rock solid and hasn't moved an inch. Uh, unless it was like 3.5 to three or something like that. But it yeah. Really and over to two and a half and it went up to three. Went yeah. Up. Yeah. So I mean, that, that means the people who should quote unquote know things think it's Georgia and all the rest of us are getting played buying into the myth mythos of, uh, of Alabama to a certain degree. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I think it's an important breakdown um, in the offseason whenever two teams that are this talented square off against each other to see how each other win um, in those because it, it literally is – this game's won by X's and O's. Like, this isn't a talent-driven national championship game. It's just not. Like, yeah. both teams are so similar on both sides of the football. Georgia's a little bit more healthy on the offensive line, so we'll <laughs> definitely see. For all the sniffles – from Peyton and I, I don't know where mine came from. I made a joke at the beginning of the show. I don't know where mine came from, and that doesn't worry me at all, but maybe it should. Uh, we're going to get out of here. Matt, national champion, Monday night will be? Bama. Bama. I'm, I'm not betting against Saban. Not yeah. betting against Saban, and uh, definitely not betting for Stetson Bennett. Yeah, and he's, he's a noted Alabama fan as well. For sure, yes. Really hoping, just for my girlfriend's sake, you know, hoping that the that the Crimson Tide pull it out. Roll Tide, baby. Will she get a ring for that? Actually, we all get a ring for that because the SEC is going to win. SEC, it. they uh, ship them out. The exactly. So can't can't wait to cheer on our new teammates tomorrow night. Um, I'm kidding. Between Alabama and Georgia, it's been a great podcast as it always is. 
you guys made it to this point, please go leave a five-star review and a comment. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Sorry for the sniffles from both of us. Uh, one of us is actually, we know what's going on. So next week we will be <laughs> yep. in, uh, we will be in better shape, better health. I hope for Peyton's perspective and I hope for mine for Peyton Guthrie from Matt Burton through the keyhole. Thank you guys for listening. Roll Tide.